0: Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast, I'm Dave Tish. You know, for years I was an English teacher and whenever I had to teach a difficult unit for like AP English on poetry, my students would get worried. They'd be like, man, I don't understand how to read poetry, I don't read poetry, and I'm like, actually you do, you read poetry and you ingest poetry all the time, it's called music. Now one of the things that we see in music that's the same as in poetry is that when somebody wants to communicate something very important or central, they use repetition. And this is true in not just poetry. It's true in literature. When themes get repeated again and again, it's a, it's a sign to pay attention. Now, let's pretend you're not a geek and you, you're not into literature. The, the same is true when you were a kid. When your mom repeated something and told you something multiple times, you had to listen. That was something important, right? That's the whole thing. We, we as humans repeat things that are important. I'm going to march through real quickly where we've been in the book of Matthew because it's easy to get lost in the particular chapter or verse we are and not see the general patterns that are emerging. So in chapter 16 that we kind of first talked about, Jesus um, goes up to his disciples and say, hey, who are people saying I am? And Peter responds for the very first time with this affirmative statement, you're the Messiah. And Jesus is like, that's right. And then we're like, wow, Jesus is actually the Messiah. And then Jesus says, actually, what's going to happen is I'm going to get killed. And Peter's like, no, nah, that can't happen. That You're the Messiah. You can't get killed. And Jesus like, no, nah, I'm going to get killed and also get behind me, Satan. And then in, in chapter 17, there's a transfiguration. Jesus goes up on a mountain and then transforms into this glowing son of man, which is a reference to all sorts of Old Testament things. And then Peter's like, hey, let's stay up here forever. And Jesus says, for the second time, no, I'm actually actually going to be delivered in the hands of, of, of men. They're going to kill me. And again, this is the second time. And then in Matthew 18, um, the disciples are arguing, and they're like, hey, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Because if you're the Messiah, you're the king. There's got to be, like, who's, your, what, who's important up there? And Jesus actually refers to children and says actually it's the little kids it's the low positions and they're like wait what and then in the next chapter we see a rich young ruler come out and he's like hey I want to follow you and Jesus is like well you got to give up your stuff you know that's keeping you in uh, away from following me and he's like no I want my stuff and Jesus is like man that's you know, in order to be in the kingdom, you gotta, you gotta be willing to give stuff up. Like, I, I'm willing to give stuff up. And then, in the chapter 20 that we're about to go into, Jesus says, for the third time, I'm gonna go to Jerusalem and they're gonna kill me. And for the third time, there's a misunderstanding about what greatness is. And uh, a mother of James and John comes up to Jesus and says, hey, listen, can I ask you a favor? Can you grant my sons... James and John, the, the positions of honor for you, the king, can they sit on your left and right? Uh, that's the, the high positions of honor. And Jesus is like, man, you guys still don't get it. You think I'm going to be like a king, like you see kings on earth, where there's a hierarchy. There's the king and then his court, and then you've got the middle class, and then you've got the commoners, and you've got the lowest of the low. You think there's a hierarchy, and you think the values of the world are the same, and Jesus is like, no, it's not that. To anyone who wants to become great has to become a servant, and whoever wants to be first has to become a slave. This is a continued echoed theme that Jesus keeps pounding in. I'm the Messiah, but I'm going to suffer and die. I'm going to give my life. To become great, you have to become low. To become powerful, you have to give up power. To become great, you have to actually serve. And Jesus says, and I'm going to serve and even give my life as a ransom for many. That's how far it is I'm going to serve. I'm not just saying these are the kingdom values. I'm going to live them out as the king. This is so counterintuitive. Jesus has to say it again and again and again. He has to have these teachable moments with his disciples to pound it into their heads and hearts that the way of Jesus is not about getting fame or glory or climbing some social ladder or political ladder or economic ladder. It's actually descending. Jesus descends, actually. That's what the incarnation is all about. This is very, very difficult teaching because it's countercultural to what all of us think that we want. We think if only I were somebody, then I'd be somebody. And Jesus is like, "Let me redefine what it means to be somebody. Let me redefine what it means to be great." Again, this is the third or fourth time Jesus has hit this note and and done this teaching with his disciples, and I think it's the third or fourth time that we need to hear it. So, we're going to dive into that. Jake Kim is here. We're going to talk about what Jesus is doing in this passage and why it's so challenging and so countercultural. We also May or may not dive into Taylor Swift for more minutes than probably we should, but it, I swear to you, it, it relates, it relates, I promise. So, with that, let's just dive right in. Well, I mean, first of all, welcome back. Oh, you just got back from the Gospel Coalition conference, didn't you? You spoke I did. there. Now, how was Paris? It was in Paris, right?
1: (laughs) I wish. It was in lovely Indianapolis, Indiana. Same thing. I've never been.
0: You've never been to Indy?
1: Yeah, it is.
0: You know that's where I went near to college. I went to college near Indy. Yeah, man, it's the epicenter of global (laughs) art It's the heartland.
1: It's right in the middle. It's actually a pretty cool town. I, I met a friend for dinner one night in North Indy. Oh yeah. And I forget what it's called. Anybody who lives in Indianapolis would know, but there's this 20 miles long stretch of sort of walking path where people can walk, run bike. And there's all this art on the wall and it connects basically downtown Indy all the way up to like North Indianapolis. Yeah. Um, and then where we were for dinner then I stayed and the conference was in downtown, but I met this buddy for dinner, uh, in this small cool part of Indianapolis that reminded me a lot of like Southeast Portland or Hayes Valley in San Francisco, like lots of cool restaurants and breweries and That's tons cool. of art everywhere. And, um, you know, a lot of just hipsters roaming out of <laughs> the wild. And it was cool, man. It's, it's actually a cool, cool little town. And yeah, God, God is uh we've got, you know, dear friends at the gospel coalition and, um, God's doing some amazing things there. Yeah. like So what was 6, your talk particular on?
0: Cause it was on ex- being exiles in this, in this world, right? That was the general theme of the conference.
1: Yeah. I gave a talk on the push and pull of um, connection and belonging in the digital age. Oh, cool. And, and mostly I talked about the gift of attention, giving one another the gift of attention. I'm sorry. What were you saying? I like that. Nice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Anyways, it was fun. Oh, the gift of attention. That's really sweet. That's yeah. a that's a a lovely way to talk about what it means to be pastoral and and be uh, caring for somebody.
1: Yeah, totally. That's really cool. And our our attentions in the digital age are just scattered, torn and- asunder. You know, by all the.
0: The pings and dings, yeah. And yeah. And so also, the pace of life in the bay is, is, is yeah, hundred
1: percent, yeah. So, so there's that. one practical recommendation for everyone listening: ooh, get rid of notifications on your phone. Oh, it's a game changer. I don't think phones should be pinging you all the time. You know, you got a text, your, you got a, like, you know, like neuro- I can feel it in my pocket. Yeah, sometimes. I, yeah. You got to turn that off because neurologically, it's making you an addict. So every time you get a ping, this isn't like conjecture. This has been studied yeah it's like you're getting it's like you're taking a little shot of crack cocaine or something Mm. neurologically that's what's happening Hmm. and then you become addicted so well stop being a crack addict okay and turn the notifications off do
0: you have notifications on for jenny and your kids no really yeah so jenny jenny knows she like
1: if someone calls me on the phone yeah the call comes up sure um, so she'll call. You, you can something. have people
0: who can break through, do not disturb. Yes. Yeah. You can set so that I, as well. I, yeah. You know, I have my kids on there. Yeah. That's pretty wise.
1: Yeah. Anyways, this had nothing to no, do with that conversation. No, it
0: doesn't. Okay. So this week we were talking about um, Matthew 20, and I was thinking about this. Um this is like the fourth time Jesus has said something similar to what he's about to say. We just
1: Yeah, it's a theme
0: for it, him. It's not just a th- it's, it feels like Matthew is like hammering this, right? Yeah, yeah. He's saying there's two things that keep coming up. Jesus keeps saying I'm going to die. Yes. And then he keeps saying something about uh to be great in the kingdom is to to this low status. Yeah. Or lowered status, descent. humility, descent. Um, and that's what it means to be great. So then we have this moment where, and it, it's it's a little interesting because Matthew says it's James and John's mother that approaches them. Yeah. But then in another gospel, it says that James and John themselves kind of approach. Right. Maybe that's with the mom. And anyway, she, he has he has just said we're going to go to Jerusalem. He says it very plainly. To the point where it's it's a little funny that that nobody gets it, you know. He's like, yeah. "They're gonna kill me." <laughs> he says it really cleanly. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna get killed in yeah. Jerusalem. Yeah, and it's got the, that I'm gonna be handed over to the Romans. They're gonna kill me. Here we go, and they start walking. So actually, if you think about it, we're actually in the last part of Jesus's life. Yeah. Matthew slows down, but we're we're actually kind of near the homestretch of Matthew. Yeah, yeah. We're. Getting I mean, there. this is this is the passion. Yeah, there. the last
1: eight chapters will be. Um. You know, the first 20 chapters have spanned many years, you know, the majority of it, sort of three years of his earthly ministry, the early part of it, his, you know, his birth narrative and all of that. Uh, but yeah, these last, this last stretch will get really it'll like focus and slow down the timing of the if it's a movie the timing of it really slows Mm. down now we're almost like in 24 like real time remember 24 Deep Sutherland
0: yeah our first black president yeah David David Palmer Palmer.
1: and he he dies on that show that was very jarring that was and I, I'm pretty sure Kiefer Sutherland saved the world 18 times on that show, at least in 18 days. That's the, what's incredible. <laughs> he, in 18 days, he's got it, a he saves the world really 18 times. Do you it's remember amazing. the time he
0: had an atom bomb in a plane and then he dove out of the plane with oh, a gosh, parachute? The
1: Best dude, that show was the best.
0: It was fantastic. Yeah. So just like that, yeah. Jesus is Jesus is save. Kiefer Sutherland. Jack Bauer. <laughs> Jesus Bauer, he's gonna save the world. Yeah, they should have made his name like Jack Crower, so it's like a JC, like a, just a just an overt, Solid, yeah. an overt anagram. There, um, I have no idea what we're talking about. Oh yeah, yeah. So so, so it slows down. Yeah, yeah. So so James's mother comes up after he yeah. is just he's been on the Mount of Transfiguration. He said he he's gonna die. You would think that she would say something like don't go to Jerusalem. I heard you say you're going to die. They're going to kill you. Don't do that. Right. Or you would think she would like, she falls at his feet. You think she would say, think of your mother, Mary. I know mm. her. Like, think yeah. of what your death will mean to her. Or she yeah. could have said, listen, my boys are your followers. If they kill you, the, my boys aren't too far behind. So think about them. Mm. Instead, that's not what she says. She no. says, hey, listen, the the seats of honor, like in the kingdom, when you become a king, can my boys have those right. your left and your right these places of honor yeah and so it's very tiger mom <laughs> it's yeah it's, a little bit, it's yeah. very it's very hey can my kids have and it's clear in that moment that she doesn't quite understand
1: no not at all What what's going on yeah yeah she doesn't she thinks that all. he's
0: going to be exalted as like a king and she's like hey look i know how kingdoms work yeah because kingdoms have hierarchy, yeah, the right? Yeah,
1: seats at the right and the left that really That's what matters. King-
0: kings yeah. have, a, a you know, various people that are high, and then there's middle people in the kingdom and there's low people in the kingdom. Yeah. That's how kingdom works. Yeah. And so she's like, hey, can my sons be all the way up there? Right. Yeah. And that makes sense. But what I find interesting is that Jesus actually doesn't outright rebuke her. He just changes the definition of, of greatness entirely, yeah. Yeah. like
1: reframes it. Yeah. He doesn't say, no, they can't. He says, "Well, uh, I'm going to drink me. a cup." Yeah. "Can you drink that cup?" And she's like, "Oh, for sure. Give me that cup. Let me drink it, you yeah. know." And um and then he he concludes, "Well, it's not for me to I don't choose. determine that." Yeah. But I will essentially what he's saying is like, "But I will tell you, wherever you sit, if you want a place in the kingdom, you got to ask yourself the question, "Can you drink this cup?" And um and she then, and the disciples then also, they chime the,
0: in pretty immediately, and they say, "Yes, we can." Yeah,
1: they don't understand. One, they don't understand what greatness in the kingdom of God is, and then two, they don't understand that to to be in the kingdom in that way demands drinking this particular cup that Jesus will drink, and it's a cup that later, in the spring, when we come back to Matthew. And we have, you know, we'll teach on Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Right. It's like Jesus is like to God, His Father. I don't want to drink this cup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he because he gets it yeah. in ways that these young men don't. You know. So
0: let's come back to the cup in a second. Because, yeah. Because because I think there's so much. There's so so much. Yeah. Biblically, Jesus is pulling. Yeah. We just had a lab on the prophets. He's pulling yeah. from the prophets. Yes. Um. But before we get to that. Jesus says, well, you see kingdoms uh, and how they work, how yeah. they operate. And people who have power and authority, they lord it over those who don't. Yeah, Not so. And he says, not so with you. Whoever wants to become the greatest has to become the least. Yeah. Has to. And like
1: you said, he's already said this so He's many times they're very times, yeah. forgetful we did a teaching on w- what it means that jesus you know sort of invites young children the little and, kids the and least and young that, ones at that time little children were not like children are the future like they were <laughs> there weren't songs <laughs> thank like you Whitney. That. thank you whitney you know what i mean yeah, like no. that's not how people thought about kids kids were like essentially worthless. discarded yeah. worthless we'll we'll care about you when you can contribute financially and socially so he's done this so many times which is what i say to my son often right i yes. will start and caring about you know you just as well way. done at <laughs> baylor university Got your dad's love is only four years away <laughs>
0: <laughs> you're almost there buddy you're almost there just keep graduating oh gosh uh, that's funny that's a
1: joke everybody yeah and i know it's like so far from the truth. <laughs> right right that's why so, it's funny anyway. In case there's a new listener. Life, <laughs> oh my oh gosh, my gosh this guy's a dad. terrible dad. <clears throat> we love you, Justice.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, um, right. So he's not saying that. Yeah. Um, so he re- redefines greatness in a way that says, he. And, um, if you want to be great in the kingdom, you got to serve. Yeah. Um, I love Eugene Peterson, you know, and he did a translation of these words and yeah. he actually intentionally, he does this later with, the, the beautiful poem in Philippians that the son of man did not come to be oh, yeah. served, but to serve. Yeah. And the, you know, that, um, that, that, that kind of poem in Philippians, uh, that he, he, he lived his life as a, as a, sometimes it's translated servant. But what Peterson does is he translates it as slave yeah. to be provocative. It is the same word, it's right? The Greek word. So, so he's trying to say something. Yeah. Slave hits different than servant. Yeah, it does. Like when I think servant, I think Alfred the butler,
1: you know, oh, I sure. think I think yeah. the
0: Will Smith, uh, the the uh, what's uh, his name, Jeeves. No, what's his? Um, oh, I know who you're talking. Yeah, the, the Butler and the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Yeah. How do we not uh, remember? Uh, Jeffrey? Joffrey, Jeffrey? Jeffrey? Yeah. Jeffrey? Jeffrey? Yes. Um, I think that's what I think of a yeah, certain, sort of
1: elevated, an uh, elevated, not quite member of the family, but yes, family. Yeah, Mr. Belvedere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally.
0: But but slave is slave different. is something different. Yeah. Um. So I think that there's probably tones of both. Well, or, it is the same word, yeah. You know, and we've
1: talked about this here before. We've done we did a whole teaching during how not to read the Bible, like two, three years ago, or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or three yeah. Years Dan Kimball's ago. book, right? Uh, we did a whole teaching on slavery in the ancient world, and um, there is only one word, and they're they're translated differently into the English depending on the translator, sort of, you know, what what they think the intention is of the author. But uh, yeah, it's the word doulas fr- from which we get the word doula, which is like somebody oh, yeah. who is assisting in a generative activity. and um, Yeah, but I agree. I think the word slave, I mean, it can get a little bit tricky because we the also baggage. then start mapping on sure. the transatlantic slave trade. Which is not. Slavery in any form, including the form it took on during Jesus's time, is not God's intention. You know, you see that in the end, you know, revelation and, and you see echoes of it all throughout Paul's words. There is well, no Jew nor Gentile slave well, he, nor but free. Paul
0: says I can be a slave to sin or yeah. can, I can be a slave to Christ. Yeah. And he says, I am a slave to Christ. Yes. So he actually takes on that moniker. Yeah. It's kind of like voluntary servitude. Yeah. Cause it's, it's a choice. Yeah. But I think that's interesting that Peterson and his mothers like really hone in on that. Like this is, a without rights total giving of your life. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's powerful actually. Yeah. And I,
1: yeah, because I think again, just because of our own modern cultural
0: and American particular American, right?
1: The word serve or servant servant probably feels a little bit harsher than serve. I think serve is palatable, you know, like serve feels like it's still within my control. It's like, oh, it, we think of volunteerism. It's like, sure. I'm going to volunteer to serve at the Red Cross or the homeless shelter. You know, right, right. if you are a servant, that feels more like an identity occupational, like, oh, my gosh, I have to do this. And then slave is even Harsher. stronger. It's like, right. no, this is your life you are identified as a particular and i think that's where it's powerful that peterson uses that word because i actually think that is what jesus is saying it's like relinquish control relinquish um any sense of my life as my life and begin to live with um a very deep understanding and committed embrace of the fact that your life and this is very un-american Your life is not your life, you know? Uh, It
0: belongs to God for the service of others. Jenny and I,
1: you know, we go through um, Tim Keller's church and then the larger organization who's a part of City City before he passed. Uh, You know, they put out what's called the New City Catechism. And it's basically the ancient, you know, um, Heidelberg Catechism, except modernized. And then they have a version for kids. And so we go through that with our children um, on most nights. And the, you know, people who are familiar with the catechism, the very first catechism, the very first thing is um, I am
0: not my own, but belong to God.
1: Exactly. I am not my own, but belong to God. And we can't, as Americans, that's a nice thing to say, but as Americans, the catechism is designed, it's difficult to move on in the catechism without
0: well the first question is what is our only comfort in, in life and death
1: yeah isn't that the first question yes it is
0: that i belong I body not and my self. own
1: but i belong to god yeah, yeah. and and that's so un-american Oof. you know but to belong to god jesus seems to indicate means to lay yourself down for um others that is what it means to belong to god which is Paul's that's what Paul means. Like yeah. I'm a slave to Christ
0: and Jesus even. So the thing about this, this is because this can get a little wonky. People are like, wait, what? what? But Jesus is like, look, just as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve, but to serve. And then he goes even further and to give his life yeah, as a ransom, ransom yeah. for many. So he's, he's using all sorts of language here. He's saying like, this is what I'm doing. So it's not like something I'm asking or demanding of you. Because I need your sacrifices. This is just the way of God. This is the way of love.
1: Ransom is a payment to liberate someone who's indebted or something, you know, that's held in debt. So that's what, yeah, I mean, that's all very intentional, right? He says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And my act of service, in its most ultimate expression, is that I paid. I'm gonna pay with my with life my life with my life to free you. Yeah, that's not even being a slave. That's like I don't know what that is. I mean, that's like the most quintessential sort of parental martyrdom. Yeah, step mar- in the, yeah. step in the way of it's what it's what a loving father or mother would do for their child if they were in and Really, there's yeah. hardly anyone else you would do that for, right? In life, and that's what Jesus does, and that's His vision of servitude, you know, in God's kingdom and that's that's the bar.
0: So I wanted to I wanted to talk about that real quick because there's a sense in which greatness in our world as Jesus defines it is still the same today. The same thing he talks about, the way that the ancient world worked, is the same way our world works. Yes, hierarchy, greed, power. Yeah, retaining we're still. Power. Yeah, we're
1: still James and John's mother saying like, Hey, can I saddle up right next to you when you rise in glory? But there, we forget yeah. there is no rising in glory until there is a descent into death, and we don't want that part.
0: Yeah. Right. But what that does, but I've seen, you've seen this, I've seen this, I've seen this in me, but I've also seen it in others. Um, When you're so focused on ladder climbing and power and accumulation, what it does is you walk in a room and you immediately begin to ignore those who can't help you on your climb upward. Right. And so you start treating some people as non-people. Yes. And then you treat other people as, Oh, well, those people can help me. So it creates this really nasty, ugly dynamic of yeah. like moving up. And people have seen this all the time, right? You know, movers and shakers and this and that. and that.
1: I think it goes in all directions uh, because I think really the issue is self-centeredness. Oh, sure. So, you know, there's the whole um, in psychology, psychologists talk about the human propensity to despise down and envy up. And you know, it, it's a way of like we see. We often when, when we're focused on the ladder, whatever the ladder is, I think we see everybody above us and beneath us and right alongside us as rungs on the ladder for us so to climb. Those beneath us, we're like, I that I put my foot on that rung to push myself up, and what that does is it puts pressure on the rung downward. And we do that to people all the time, you know. And then the people above us, we see them as rungs that we can cling to and pull ourselves up, which is also puts pressure on that rung downward, you know? So it's all about seeing people not as people, like you said, but seeing them as um, necessary uh, sort of, I don't know, like opportunities to simply pull ourselves or or push ourselves, yeah. push or pull ourselves. But you're using upward, them, but you're, you're not using serving them. them. Yeah, you're not serving
0: them. And it's about you, not about God or his kingdom or, or them.
1: Yeah. In God's kingdom, it, it's much more about lifting up right. rather than pushing down and pulling yourself up.
0: So yeah. I was thinking about this. I was sweeping my garage last night and, you know, it's very therapeutic for me. and. To so sweep your garage? Yeah, it's just a thing. It's it, pretty weird. Well, no, because there's debris and I want it clean, you know? So I was thinking, like, who are the most famous people I know or I've ever seen or met or in my life? You know, the, I was started thinking about famous people. You met Barry Manilow once. I, I did. But that that's, that's might another. might be top of that. <laughs> but, like, think about, like, Taylor Swift is huge and all these famous people, right? Yeah. But then I started thinking. Taylor like, Swift and Travis Kelsey, Oh, actually. Should we talk about this? No, probably not. Probably not. Yeah. You know, my daughter is suddenly interested in football. Yeah.
1: You know, there was a 400% spike in Travis Kelsey jersey sales. I can't imagine one one one. day. In one day. So let me ask,
0: I asked my son this. And uh, do you think that he is now Travis Kelsey, the second most famous NFL player in the world because of this Taylor Swiftness? You mean behind
1: what, like Patrick Mahomes? Right. Behind Mahomes he might be i mean he might become the most famous because because taylor swift is so famous right you it's like her I mean? nebula but not famous for being like probably the best pass catching tight end in NFL NFL history. history. nobody knows that right if you're like non-football fans don't know that
0: uh but famous for being Taylor. well he swift. hosted saturday night live and from what i understand he was and I, i've seen the clips he's very funny Right, but he wasn't. He's not like famous like he is now. But I'm saying is that is he is he on the path toward the Rock? Is he going to be the Rock?
1: How dare you! I'm just wondering. Nobody's going to be Dwayne the Rock Johnson.
0: Is he Rock Point Five? No,
1: man. No. 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 Now you're getting ridiculous.
0: Oh, I just wondered. He's a. I mean, the the comparisons aren't too. Okay, you know what's really
1: interesting though. What? The cynical side of me. This connects to what we're discussing. The cynic in me. I, I hope it's a genuine relationship. Oh, I you hope, think it was engineered? I hope they get married. Well, you know what I mean? Yeah. We live in such a... a Manufactured. A clickbait yeah. sort of likes and retweets and shares culture. It's such great... It's such a great sort of like, oh, let's keep ourselves... In the, the front, front page, front, on yeah, the front pages. you know,
0: and but with the next, you know, their next, which chain. is a pursuit of greatness. It's it's a right. sort of yeah. like, hey, yeah.
1: we can be mutually. I, I'm not saying this is true for them. I hope it's. It not. certainly has been true for a lot of oh, celebrities. Certainly has been. I mean, you think about, oh my gosh, dude, we're gonna get in trouble here. But I'm just gonna name names. You think about the Kardashians and their affinity for dating professional basketball players over the years. Right. And what what has been proven true about that? Not all of the relationships, but several of them, it did it did come out in hindsight like, "Oh, this was kind of like a manufactured, very well calculated it's good romantic for, entanglement. It's good for you as a basketball player." Almost
0: like the ancient kings and queens would marry different kings yes, and queens like of other nations. you're kind of like,
1: you know. Yeah. Tristan Thompson, you're kind of a mediocre player, but now you're dating Khloe Kardashian. It's good for you. Oh, Khloe, it's kind of good for you to sit courtside at these Cavs games because LeBron. LeBron's on that team yeah. and he's married and doesn't want to date you, obviously, but you can date one of his fourth best teammate and sort of be <laughs> courtside at games where LeBron plays, which are always on national TV and the over under on how many times the sure. camera will panda you in a game is about three or four. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And that's all this sort of calculated manufactured pursuit of greatness, which is something we can judge. I can judge, but we do that kind of thing a lot, even in unintentional ways. Like I I love the example you gave, you walk into a room like at work and in most rooms, like there is a center of gravity based on power, prestige position. And there's something in us. It's like, okay, I got to, you know what I mean? Like, imagine you walk into it. You work at whatever you know. Let's say tech company, and you go into a big meeting where several teams are there. And then you know, in those meetings, there are one or two people where those one or two people don't know everyone's names in the room, but everyone in the room knows their names. You know, like yeah. those people. And and let's say you're just trying to casually kind of make your way a little bit like physically closer to where they are. So maybe you'll find your way into a smaller circle where they're having a conversation, and they can you know. But then let's say like the 19 year old intern and it's his first day kind of saddles up next to you and starts talking you up. Most people listening to this have had at least in some way that like little sort of nagging feeling is like, dude, can you just hurry this up? Like I gotta, I gotta, you know, and that's a way of you're trying to climb, you know, and that's in all of us to yeah, get a little screen time, you know, like yeah. be courtside and, and whatever. So uh, I, I think it's real. And I think Jesus blows that stuff up out of the wall. No, um,
0: we're not digging. I don't on, know, best, we're not, digging on, we're not you know, digging on Taylor or Kelsey. Best wishes. And I hope that that friendship bracelet Kelsey that Swift, he gave her. Yeah, that would be, you know? I hope that I mean, they're both 30. They should find love. Let's find love. You know, that's, that's what was weird. I always
1: imagine like Travis Kelsey looks old. And then Taylor Swift, in my mind, is always, like,
0: the 19-year-old. Yeah, she's, yeah, yeah.
1: So I was like, this is wrong. But then I realized they're, like, basically they're the, the same, same age, age. Yeah.
0: Which is so strange. Yeah. So, I think, well, all the Swifties are for it. My daughter's very strongly for it. She thinks that she, Kelsey, she really? thinks that Kelsey's very cute. And he seems like a nice guy because he put her in a booth with his mother to meet her mother. That's yes. very She goes, that's very safe. It's very on-brand. for Yeah, that's you know, great. So. And she's eating chicken tendies. Is that what she was doing? Yeah, but... We should she, pop- did,
1: she did drop an F F bomb oh, when we she, scored a she, touchdown. She, I would you I would too. see let's so.
0: let's freaking go. Okay. <laughs> we we kind of got derailed. By the way, you know her next game the next game that the Chiefs plays against the Jets in New York. Guess who lives in New York? T Swifty. Guess whose album, her new nineteen eighty nine redo, yeah. is dropping next week.
1: That's what I mean. Is this a manufacturer? I'm just saying it's convenient. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I'm just saying it's convenient. Also, do you think Taylor doesn't realize, because she has not cared about football until this Sunday, do you think she doesn't actually know that the Jets actually play in New Jersey? And do you think there's going to be just deep disappointment? (laughs) I don't know. What am I doing in New Jersey?
0: Well, you have to think, though, the NFL is very popular.
1: Yes, it is. And
0: there's a lot of NFL fans now who are like, well, look, Taylor Swift went after teenagers. Yes, teenage girls got them. Yes, then got all all dads of teenage girls. Yes, <laughs> we're all in because you know we're going to the concert, yeah. listening to the music. And now
1: she got NFL fans.
0: Now she got NFL dads. That's what I'm saying, is this a weird manufacturing? I don't know. I don't know. All right, Can, best
1: best wishes, best wishes to, to Travis to, and yeah, Taylor. We
0: hope that it's it's not manufactured. And the only thing that man, is manufactured is a genuine union between two Ooh. people. I like that man. Okay. okay. All right. Okay. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about the cup. Um, because there's a lot in this. Jesus says, "Can you drink the cup I'm about to drink?" Yeah. Um, and this is a very this is an image from the Old Testament. He's 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 gathering. Yeah, and he's it's gonna like you said it's gonna be developed later in 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 Gethsemane. I'd like to talk a little about because they he says, "Can you drink the cup?" And they they both say, "Yes." I I wish they would have we could have heard the thought process. Like you would think they would pause and say, "Wait, what cup is he talking about?" Is it the cup of toasting when a king is triumphant? Is it the cup of, hey, you need to sacrifice a little for this, what's important for this? Is it a cup of sacrifice? Is it a cup of suffering? Um, And so we talked a little bit about the first time the term cup comes up. Yeah. And so I wanted to tease this out because um, mostly I think in my younger days as a pastor, I would have avoided these passages because they're uncomfortable. Yeah. So I would have just been like, I don't understand them, so I'm going to avoid them. I think it's better not to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so the first time you see the, the term cup is in Isaiah the prophet. And he's talking about, Isaiah's a prophet, he's in the, the the southern kingdom, and Assyria is about to come and conquer the ten northern tribes, and he's about to come all the way south. And Isaiah says, listen, you have, we uh, Jerusalem, two southern tribes, we have got to repent. He basically saves the two southern tribes from yeah. siege. Um, with, with his words. And this is what he says. Awake, awake, rise, Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, you who have drained to its dregs the goblet that makes people stagger. Mm. So he's talking about this this cup. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Your God who defends his people. See, I have taken out of your hand the cup that made you stagger, and from that cup, the goblet of my wrath, you will never drink again. Mm. So They basically have been saved from some sort of cup of wrath. Yeah. But then a little while later, Jeremiah, this is a fascinating, he has a vision where God gives him a cup and he hands him a cup and says, "Um, take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath and make all the nations to whom I send, drink it. And when they drink it, they will stagger and go mad because of the sword that I'm going to send. And he's going to, God's going to send this cup of wrath to all the nations who are disobedient, but he's also going to send it to Judah who have been disobedient. Yeah. So this cup this image of is a cup of God's anger. I think the word anger or God's anger makes a lot of people uncomfortable because most humans don't handle anger well mm-hmm. and most of the time when we see anger it's really destructive. Yeah. But not all anger is destructive. No. There it's it's not. And so we have to pause on that. Yeah. Because if you think about someone who's like moral and good and loves you and they and they're really for you and they're good and and all of a sudden there's something that's very important to them maybe it's you yeah and you keep pressing on that thing yeah there's going to come a point where they're going to get mad and they're going to say enough's enough we have i'm not going to tolerate this anymore we're going to have a we're going to have a conversation yeah and you wouldn't say that they're an angry person you wouldn't say that they're filled with anger you would say they got angry yeah because you pushed on something that's important so talk a little bit about the cup of wrath, how you understand it or how you might understand it to people. Cause I think people are afraid that God's like out there, like taking off his belt and says, I gotta, I gotta whip somebody. Right. And that's, that's a, that's a bad caricature. Yeah. So talk a little bit about the cup of wrath it is as you, it, how would you explain it to a high schooler or something?
1: Yeah. I mean, you kind of said it. I, I think that anger, obviously many of us have experienced a, the unhealthy side of anger. Some people are just, Angry people. And, um, but I think whenever the Bible talks about God's anger, his wrath, his sort of fierce hatred of a particular thing that is unfolding, it's this sounds oxymoronic initially, but it's all, and very clearly in the stories, it's all driven by a deep, deep love. And we've all experienced that too, hopefully. You know, we, we have people in our lives. Who love us dearly, and at some point, you know we've experienced the ferocity of their anger. But but in the best situations, it is anger at maybe a decision we've made that they know because it's harmful. It's, right. harmful. it's not an annoyance to them. That's not why they're angry. They're angry because our our choices are destructive to us. You know, it's it's the it's the parent that can't stand to watch their child continue on the path to destruction. And it's not enough just to give the soft, you know, sort of, um, free range parenting approach of like, well, you know, you, you do you, there's a, there's a depth of love that drives a loving parent to say, stop. Yeah. Like whatever you do, stop. And I will do whatever I need to do to help you stop and that's anger and it's not anger necessarily directed at the individual it's anger that sort of unleashes itself um, as a means of redirecting the situation yeah you know and so the cup of god's wrath the cup of his anger in the old testament it comes up for one reason and one reason only over and over again there's never any other reason and it is always the infidelity and the betrayal of his people toward him right and on one hand you know people misunderstand like god being a
0: jealous god it's covenant breaking is it's, what it co- is yeah, yeah
1: they're breaking the covenant and it is it is it's not just that it breaks heart, god's heart it's that it breaks his heart because he knows it's destructive to a people that he loves and that he's chosen
0: yeah you know,
1: and uh,
0: we just did the lab, and and one of the things is I was rereading the prophets. I kept there was three phrases that came up. Um, God said, "I'm going to hide my face from you." Yeah. He says, "I'm going to turn you over to
1: these yeah, things." Yeah. And
0: then he says, "My cup of wrath." Yeah. And they're all tied. Yeah. Basically, he's saying, and and I love what you said. It, it's a breaking of the covenant. It, it you, as I read it, it seemed. Tell me what you think about this. I don't know. What you, we've never talked about this. It looks like it, God's really, really mad at adultery toward him. Yes. And then how that adultery automatically almost always turns into injustice toward each other. They treat yes. each other poorly. Yeah, That is the natural so, consequence. So both of them, they're tied somehow in ways that I'm not sure how, and I, I'd love to think about it, but it's always the, they're always put together. Yeah. It's adultery. You have turned your back from me, your true God, yep. and look all I've done for you. But there's also you have let injustice reign. Yeah. In your and I can't take it. I can't take the way that this is playing out. You are hurting each other. So mm-hmm. if you think about a, yeah. it, so it's a disrespect toward the parent. But then it's also the kids hurting the kids. Yeah. And and if you love your kids, of course you're going to hate that. Do you, so, yeah.
1: I think that's a hundred percent. Do you see that spot too? on? Yeah. And I think I think we see it today. Oh sure. When you remove this is certainly true in the modern West. In the sort of post-Christendom, you know, air that we breathe. And um, uh, people like Tom Holland, who's not a Christian, but he wrote this big, thick, heavy-duty book. No, different. <laughs> not that Tom Holland. Different yeah. to Tom Holland, right. Yeah, the, the theologian Tal Holland. Yeah. Well, he's not really a theologian. He's not a Christian. Um, he's a historian. And uh, he wrote a book called Dominion, and it's about how, Christianity, the way of Jesus, he doesn't call it that, but Christianity, um, has shaped the sort of, um, morality of the modern West and he doesn't get deep into this part, but we're seeing how it unravels when you remove the way of Jesus. So that's a big, long roundabout way of saying, I think it's still true today when people become as a people become unfaithful to God, the community itself becomes unhinged. God is, and the way of Jesus is the center point. It is the, it is the sort of sun around which a healthy dynamic
0: human relationship,
1: human community exists. You Mm -hmm. remove that and it becomes basically Lord of the flies. And what I'm trying to say is like, we see it today. Like the angst people who are listening or watching right now, the angst you feel about what's happening in society and in culture. And I know many people do this sort of cannibalization of one another and, and cancel culture on the whole. And listen, this is not, you know, a couple of weeks ago in my teaching, I talked about biblical justice and, and justice is so I'm not critiquing like justice movements that are grounded in the gospel of Jesus. Like, yes, orphans, widows, the aliens, like that is biblical, but you see it all the time. Like in, um, uh, this is going to get into like all sorts of, it's going to open all sorts of cans of worms and that's okay. But, um, like I listened to the, the podcast, the witch trials of JK Rowling. Oh yeah. And regardless of where you stand on the issue, what is so fascinating about that story uh, and I'm not taking a stand here, like one side or the other. Um, I you're, just you're think,
0: commenting on the anger. that I think in what is story. so interesting yeah. is
1: like there is like a real cannibalization of one another. Yeah, like you see fracturing into tribes, and you're seeing it today even in politics. Yeah, you know, um, uh, like what's happening with the GOP, and on and on. Like the fracturing and the tribalism doesn't stop it just, everything becomes unhinged. Like this one large group fractures into two and then everyone's angry at one another. But within the two, you get to a, a different point. And because there is no center point, now those two have fractured into four and eight and 16 and 32 and it'll just go on and on this is it's like it goes all the way back to the beginning of the human story this is what happens at babel when human beings decide we can take human ingenuity and skill and not invite god to descend and be amongst us as his people but instead we will rise and become god we will build the tower to the skies and we will become we'll make a name for ourselves when that happens the inevitable uh, consequence is a scattering, it's right. like a constant, you know, fracturing, and then that whole story gets redeemed in the early church when all of these different people with all these different cultures and languages reunified around the risen Christ and the spirit he sends his people. Now they become one, you yeah. know, and and we're it's like even if you don't think the Bible is like God's divinely inspired word. It is undeniably the most incredible work of literature. And second place is not even close. Like we're talking about a text that was written thousands and thousands of years ago in a culture that we like don't hardly know anything about. And it, it is like this precision diagnosis of what is happening today. Today, right now. Right, you know, There's no other text yeah. in history that does
0: Well, even what we works. talked about a couple of weeks ago, we talked about justice as a value, as a virtue, as a, as a thing that God goes after. But justice is always tied to love and forgiveness and if you divorce love and forgiveness from justice you you turn toward yeah. vengeance yeah and vengeance and is not justice yeah,
1: justice actually desires union and
0: reconciliation it names yes. the wrong because union, union is not possible yes, yes it yes. doesn't
1: name the wrong so that we can kill the wrongdoer
0: right and so you see the devolving it's almost like well if we don't allow god to, de- to determine what's right and what's wrong yeah and if he's not our guide, if he's not our king, yeah. then we just, we spin out, out of control. Yeah. So the cup, so I, I wanted to read you something from Matthew Reeves. Um, um, he's a commentator. I love this. He also played Superman in the first No, that's two. that's Christopher Reeves. Okay. Sorry, that's the wrong. Okay. I see what you did to me and um, I tasted my own poison and it is bitter. And I'm sorry for um, making a Tom Holland joke. Okay. So here's what it says. um. Uh, According to Jeremiah, God handed him the cup of his wrath, directing the prophet to force it down the throats of all the nations who disobeyed him, starting with Judah. Mm. Jerusalem, too, would soon suffer disaster as a result of their sin. The difference with Jesus, of course, was his willingness to take the cup and drink it himself, not only for Israel's sake, but for the whole world. Unlike Jeremiah and his vision, Jesus would force it on nobody he would drink it himself. He knew he was destined to drink the cup, even though he didn't even want to. Hmm. And I think that that's, that's the point that we're trying to make. We, the, the prophets point to this inevitable thing that's going to happen. Yeah. God has to get angry at sin. He has to get angry at adultery and idolatry He's going to because of the nature of his love. Mm-hmm. And the, the logical consequences of that are separation from God and utter destruction. Yes. And Jesus, that's and what... And fracturing. And a fracturing of yeah. all relationships. Yeah. And Jesus takes that and willingly drinks that cup. Yeah. Now, here's the thing that's weird about it. That's the cup that only Jesus can drink. So why does he say to James and John, can you drink the cup? Mm. Is it is there another cup? Because only Jesus can drink that cup, right? Yeah. Is he saying you're going to participate with me in this work? Mm-hmm. Because they die. Well, I mean, James gets killed next twelve, mm-hmm. and John he gets exiled and probably dies in exile. He might he might have gotten killed. We're not sure.
1: Yeah, that's what's really fascinating. These guys in the gospel accounts who are so they're young. You know, they're really young men, and they seem like they don't
0: know their left from
1: their right. <laughs> they end up doing this. They actually they drink do. the cup. They do they descend. Do. Yeah, they become the heroes. and they
0: willingly die. Almost all. Uh, yeah. 12 out of well
1: 11, out 11 out of 12. 12. Yeah. yeah. So that's really profound, you know. It, it's they don't really get they inter- don't
0: get it now. No, they don't get it but now. But they
1: do get it. They will get they it. They will get it. Yeah. And they'll do it. And they'll do which it willingly. It's
0: like so incredible. It's really astonishing. Yeah.
1: So um yeah, I mean we talked about it in the teaching, but again, you know, th- we had that sort of mantra, you know, based on the introductory story uh, in the teaching, but like the floor is the sky, the sky is the floor. In God's kingdom, and uh, they don't get that, you know. But the the cup, as Jesus drinks it, the cup of God's wrath becomes the cup of our salvation. Right. You know, so they will drink it, and they'll drink it in full. Like they will descend to their yeah. own death later in their lives, but they will also. You know, express and embody for us what, what it looks like to truly be saved.
0: Yeah. You know? I think about a cup that they would drink later on. Jesus took the cup when he had given thanks and gave it to them. Yeah. Saying, drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out.
1: Blood is, blood the, poured out is death. Yeah. And then it and then we drink it too it here. In you know? Yeah. like communion. Yeah. It so
0: there's life. there's the, I love what you said, that the cup of wrath, when Jesus drinks it becomes a cup of salvation. But that cup of suffering yeah. They willingly drink the cup of death, the right. cup of self-sacrifice. They willingly drink it. Yeah, And I think that that's our invitation as well. Yes. Well, now we might not physically die. Yeah. Most of us probably won't. No. But there's a death.
1: Yeah. To death ourselves. To self. We, death, yeah. we got really practical at the end. Oh, I, yeah. So I like, you know, Jesus says it here. I, this is how he concludes. He says, "I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many." And so most of us listening will not have to physically we don't live in that sort of culture we won't have to physically give our lives for our faith you know um despite all the scary uh end times movies i watched in youth group you know (laughs) still remember that balloon flying up into the sky um there's like some people who watched it know exactly what i'm talking about 90s youth group culture but uh But serving Jesus makes it clear. I didn't come to be served, but to serve. That is something we are called to do, all the time. So our invitation was one. You know, this podcast is out on Monday, in like less than this coming this coming week. Like beautiful day, fifteen hundred of us will go and serve, and and we're not doing it because we're like, oh yeah, it's like a nice volunteer exercise. I mean, it is it is that you know. And if that's why you're doing it, great. We we love that you're doing it, but. Really ultimately for followers of Jesus, it's a way of us giving up a part of our life for the sake of another, for the sake of our city, for the sake of those who have particular needs, knowing that we also have needs and serving is a way in which God fulfills that need. It's a way of laying ourselves down, um, descending so that we might experience life and life to the full, um, the way God intended, and then we also invited folks. Like, whether you're serving a beautiful day or not, maybe another thing we could do this week is to like prayerfully pick one person and give it like real forethought and intentionality and serve them. Yeah, N- not just like uh, like my wife asked for a glass of water, so I poured her one. There we go, mark it off the checklist. I mean, like, really create a plan to serve them in a way that maybe is costly to you and surprising to them, you know, and just, um, I don't know. I think those are, those are ways in
0: which yeah uh, we descend with Christ, you know, that's good. Hard work, but, um, apparently it's the path of greatness. Yeah. And and the good news is anybody can be great because yeah. anybody can serve. Yes. That's, that's, what, that's really in a yeah. world full of climbing where only a few people get to be at the top. Yeah. This is, this is anybody can be great because anybody can serve anybody can love anybody can yeah act. that's that's really good news yeah. all right well thanks jay thanks for your Thank time You and um travis kelsey taylor swift if you're listening <laughs> <laughs> go niners is what I say. <laughs> okay, oh. we'll see you in the super bowl <laughs> travis all right well thanks we'll see you next week Just want to say thanks to Jay Kim for stopping by. Join us next week. Next week is beautiful day, y'all. If you don't know what beautiful day is, it's a time when we actually close the doors of our church and we take church out into the community and we serve at 20 different high-impact service projects across the city. This is our way of living out the value of what it means to love our neighbor and our, our our commitment to what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 20, that if you want to be great, you got to serve. We're going to try to serve our city together, about 12 to 1,500 of us are going to be donating our time for the entire weekend to do these service projects for the city. And what's incredible is the city has actually come to us and asked us for help. And so uh, there's not a whole lot of churches I've ever been a part of that have that kind of partnership with the city. So we're very excited about that. If you haven't signed up for Beautiful Day, go and sign up now. And also, if you have signed up for Beautiful Day, please please keep your word and show up for that assignment unless something obviously crazy happens. If it's in your power at all, please sign up and complete your shift. Um, It's going to be an awesome time. And I think that we're not only going to do good work, I think God's going to do good work in us as we serve. Because again, every time we serve, we're becoming a little bit more like Jesus. So we'll talk about that next week. And uh, we'll see you out there and beautiful day.